Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. If you are an HR professional, you know that your life is one that is stressful. There is a lot of responsibilities, and now some of you are working virtual, hybrid, or in the office. I bet there's times you look out the window and say, boy, is there anything out there better than this? Well, you know what there might actually be? Our guest today is Michelle Griffin. Now, Michelle Griffin is an HR executive. She has her own company. And the reason I wanted to chat with her today was not because she had some specific skills or tools or programs to share with you. I wanted her to actually just talk to us about how she lives her life. Her company does HR consulting, but what she does is she works virtually. And when I say virtual, I don't mean she works out of some coffee shop someplace or from her home office all the time. She travels. Her and her husband travel the world. They do their business from all over the world. It's an inspirational story. It's interesting. Again, nothing to buy, no tools to learn, just a way to lose yourself in someone's experience and maybe start thinking about what you want to do with your life. She's actually hiring. At the end, you'll hear how to reach out to her. But I think it's important we just sit back and enjoy the journey. I had a great talk with her. I know you'll enjoy it. So let's let her do the talking. It's time for us to buckle up the seatbelt, make sure that personal items under the seat in front of you. We're going to taxi off to the runway, and man, let's travel. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Michelle Griffin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm glad we could connect uh, what my audience has no idea about. Uh, when it comes to you is that you don't actually just work in one place every day. You're a bit <laughs> of a world traveler. So uh, so where are you coming to us from today? And then tell us where you're going. And then we'll talk about you specifically. <laughs> so I am currently at home in Tampa, Florida. And my next trip will be next week. I will be in D.C. And the week after that, I will be in Guatemala and Panama. Okay. So you are not a travel blogger. You are actually, tell us what you are. So I own and operate an HR outsourcing firm. And I used to be, um, not that long ago, an HR um, practitioner and executive. So okay. I worked my way to this. 
All right. Well, we're going to talk about what this is here very <laughs> shortly, but take us back through your journey of how you got started in HR and how it's led to your really, really interesting lifestyle today. Yeah. So I went into HR on purpose. I know a lot of people tend to get handed HR responsibilities and it may or may not be something that they originally wanted to do or was part of their career path. But for me, I focused my psychology education on industrial organizational psychology and realized that that aligned with HR as the, I guess, the practical application of IO psychology. So when I decided to actually changed my career path. I was an auto theft and arson investigator for about six years right out of college and decided I didn't want to do that forever and found a career path that I wanted to take. So I um, transitioned into human resources back in 2010 when it was right around the time frame of the 2008, 2009, 10-ish which it was really difficult to find a new job. Um, I started getting my master's in IO psychology and then got my entry level HR job as essentially my title was uh, HR coordinator, I believe. Um, but really I was an admin and I took a big pay cut to take that, to take that first HR job. And I was at an IT software company that I was the second HR person and there was 300 employees. So I was tasked with everything from organizing the files to helping with onboarding, starting to learn with recruitment and scheduling interviews for the managers. And then I started learning benefits and payroll and just kind of worked my way through everything HR touches as the only person, you know, the only other person in HR. And after being at that company for two years, when the company had about 500 employees, I had finished my master's degree, had gotten my HR certification and was promoted to head of HR. Um, at that time, I managed a team of about five people and I was able to replace myself. So the team you know, was pretty large at that point. We were still a little understaffed for 500 employees, but um, we kind of all kind of banded together and worked really well. I stayed at ConnectWise for another few years and you know, was able to help that company grow to 850 employees, 10 states and four countries. And so I was the head of HR for all of it, which turned my love into international HR, which is part of where my career ended up going. I, I did have to travel for that job to the other states. I didn't get a chance to travel internationally, but always wished I could have. And so I eventually left there and went to a construction company. Transitioning from IT software to construction helped me realize how vital HR is in every industry and how easy it is to take the fundamentals of HR and apply it to any industry. So that worked out really well for my career path. I was there for about two years. And about a year into that, I had automated quite a few of the processes, took advantage of what I knew from a large company. And um, and I was able to, that, was, that company was only 100 people. So going from 800 to 100, I was able to kind of understand, even though I was a team of one, what was capable of HR and what happens when you utilize the technology to the best of your abilities. So... I was not stressed at that job and I had the mental capacity to take on more. So I went back to school and got my PhD 
or started my PhD. So then I started getting a PhD in IO psychology. That was in 2018. And I'm still getting my PhD. I'm a fourth year. Um, so now I'm working on my dissertation. And my dissertation is on the international uh, communication across across country borders in a multinational corporation. And so really I'm, I'm working on um, what people do and do not transfer knowledge about uh, back from a subsidiary to a parent company. And my goal is to travel internationally for that research. And now what I've done for work, once I was given the ability to leave that company, I had a, an amazing opportunity to strategically transition again I was given a 90-day exit and a retention bonus to stay and train my replacement in order to start my company and leave that company in a really good position. So I basically worked out that opportunity and wanted to work as an independent consultant while I was doing my research. What ended up happening was I started working with small companies that only had about 10 to 15 employees and I was offering them my HR knowledge in order to just kind of help them build their HR, instead of building, instead of helping them build their HR, they actually gave me the, the opportunity to build their HR and become their HR. And that started a new trend of not necessarily consulting, but becoming a fractional HR executive, which that, that term had only been used by fractional CFOs in the past. And so now it kind of has become a little more of a trend for fractional COOs, fractional CMOs, and things of that nature. So now um, I've kind of taken that for fractional HR. And so now I work with small to mid-sized companies and starting to get into the large company corporation size to help them with their HR, provide HR services on a long-term solution. And some companies... Those that are under 100, um, we become their HR. And I say we because now I have employees. Um, so I was able to kind of keep continuing to sell this solution to small businesses in, rather than turn down the work as an independent consultant. I just started, an, you know, started a corporation and hired employees. And so now we help companies in that capacity. And now... I have the opportunity to travel, work remote. I manage my company. Right now we have 16 employees and 20 clients. And we're, we're hiring right now and we're taking on new clients. So I'm able to, I still have a couple of clients that I manage, but I'm moving away from that um, responsibility and my employees take over what I used to do. Well, that's fascinating. Well, I want to hear more about that, but I want to go back to something you said earlier. So you graduated with your bachelor's degree in IO psychology, right? Uh, my bachelor's is in general psychology. General psychology. Okay. So how did you go from that to tracking car thieves and arsonists? <laughs> I don't know. What was that about? Were you actually like there with a magnifying glass looking at clues or were you like, what were you doing? So as an auto theft and arson investigator, I worked at an insurance company and I worked closely with the fire marshals, police departments and special investigators primarily. And I didn't necessarily um, have to like go out and talk to people, which worked out well for me because I, I didn't have to go out into the field. But what I did have to do was take a, all of the interviews and 
I had to find the red flags and basically work through and recommend how the other investigators should investigate what they should be looking for and let them know the uh, initial like red flags that I was finding. So if there was, then once the depositions came back, it was me to review the transcripts of the, of the depositions and determine if there was more red flags found, if we were able to have someone arrested and things like that. So I worked, uh, if we did have anyone arrested, I usually had to appear in court. I was deposed several times of um, being able to be the witness for the company and, um, and go to court and things like that. So it was a really, really fun job. And how I got that was, that was back in 2004. And it was much easier to get a job back then. So all I had to do was put my resume up on Indeed, I think, or Monster or wherever it was. And then I got five callbacks for jobs within like a couple days of posting my resume. And I didn't have a great resume. I mean, I had um, worked at a handful of jobs through college. And at that point, I was a waitress and I had um, worked at JC Penney's and I had worked at Teletech, which is tracking packages for UPS. So I didn't even have a great resume, but um, I got picked up by a, several companies and Mercury Insurance was one of the companies that interviewed me. And I started off as just working the car accidents and claims. And then I um, pioneered the auto theft unit for Mercury Insurance when they decided to segregate those types of claims. So tell me, what is a red flag for when you investigate arson? Oh, I'm going to tell the secrets. So yeah. I think um, some of the, I'll give like people ideas of, of how to get away. Yeah, with well, that. I don't want to, I don't want to divulge. <laughs> I don't want to create more crime than we already have. But, I mean, are there, um, so I won't, I won't ask you specific, but like, um, are these very predictable type of things yes, or are these yes, like way very, out in left there's, field? There's very predictable things to look for. We will ask people for their phone records. Um, we will ask people for a lot of it is their financial records. If they are any kind of any outstanding bills or if they're behind in car payments. Um, so we're looking for motive, um, but also it, you know, making sure that their story aligns with the timeline with information that we gather. Okay. Yeah. So basically, yeah, due to people like you, we'll catch the bad guy and, and we'll know a whole lot more about him or her or whoever it is then, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So you've got a very, very interesting background that leads you to a lifestyle that I guess is a little bit like maybe a Tim Ferriss, right? The four, four hour work week, you're obviously working way more than that, but you're, you are traveling. And I think you mm -hmm. are, maybe maybe you we are living, not me, because I'm too old for that kind of stuff anymore, but somebody else who's listening now, this is a lifestyle they dream about, right? It's just you and your husband and you guys travel to amazing places and you still do your business. So, yeah, so, that, so tell us- it's, Tell us more about that. Yeah. So it kind of started even before I became the owner of the company as a consultant. We were traveling even when I was an executive. So as an executive, I was given like three or four weeks off and I would use that for long weekends. And there was one year, I think this was like 2016, 2017, somewhere in that range. Um, we traveled, I want to say it was about 20 times in one year. And we had decided, not we, my husband decided he wanted to travel more. And his definition of more was traveling, you know, maybe 
26 times. And so that would have been like every other weekend. Well, we didn't keep track of when we left. And at the end of the year, we did a look back and calculated it all. And we traveled 46 times in one year. And how we did that was pretty much leaving on Friday afternoon and coming back Sunday night. Now that sounds exhausting, but we loved it. Um, we would get on a plane for about two to three hours. So for us in being in Florida, we could travel uh, kind of like, I mean, Vegas is four hours. Uh, my sister is in Chicago, Milwaukee area. And that's like a two and a half hour flight DC um, and kind of like that far north is about two to three hours. Um, we could also start to travel to Central America, um, South America. So we started doing that as well. Mexico, we took some, um, you know, we would take cruises and things like that too. And then our long trips that would actually take up business days would, we would try to save that for like Thanksgiving week when we have some holidays anyway. Um, our anniversaries in September. We'd also use Christmas week and some downtime for HR. And so that was kind of the way that we traveled then. And we just would usually have a budget of about $500 a weekend. So our our plane tickets, our, our hotel stay and everything would all be under $500. And so we were able to have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, once we started to continue to travel remotely. It was a little hard with school too. So once I was an executive and in school, uh, I was needing to make sure to always have my you know schoolwork available. Internet access was always really important. So we've had a hit or miss on where and when we were uh, able to travel based on internet connection and being able to answer the phone and always be on call. And now uh, as what we're working on now is to be gone longer. So instead of being gone a couple of days or maybe a few business days, we're actually looking at being gone two weeks or working up to being gone for a month at a time. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fascinating. So most of your, when you started this was in the US where you could do it on a mm-hmm. long weekend and then you started branching out. So Central, South America, when did you start going beyond that? Uh, Well, my husband's family is actually in Brazil, so we've taken trips to further South America for that. Um, Europe, we took a cruise in Europe. I want to say that was probably about 12 years ago and then started going back to Europe for just kind of different stays in different cities. And then once we decided we could be gone longer, then well, the year of COVID, we actually had a, a month in Portugal planned. And my husband's first language was Portuguese. So we're pretty comfortable at anything Latin based. And, and I can kind of pick things up. I have a couple years of Spanish behind me and I kind of pick it up the longer we stay somewhere and then I kind of forget it for a little while. But yeah, so that's kind of been our, our goal is to go places that, you know, once we're over in like the Schengen zone of Europe, we can travel within our 90 day zone, you know, of our a limitation of the Schengen visa. So that's kind of where we've started to figure that out and be able to just stay longer and work remote and getting in the habit of working remote in different time zones. So that's, we still kind of tend to work in the US Eastern time zone. A lot of our clients are in this time zone. Some of them are in the California mountain time. Um, some of them are in the Arizona time, which doesn't observe the, um, time change. So we kind of have to keep a lot of that in mind as we move throughout the world and where we're at versus where they are. 
So what kind of support team do you have? I mean, are you booking <laughs> all this travel and all this, or do you have somebody that helps you with that? No, my husband does it all. Does he? So mm -hmm. yeah, we ended up um, franchising a travel agency <laughs> because of that. So now we can book travel for our friends too, or our employees or clients or whatever we, we want, but we did that for fun and to have the ability to use the travel agency for what we do our travel for, but it's not um, a huge business line that we seek to get benefit, you know, seek to have a profit line from. Okay. So when COVID did all its restrictions, you said you were in Portugal for a month. Was that in the middle of it or did you get caught? When we never did? got to go. We had to cancel everything. Okay. So what did you do when you had to stay home? How long did you not travel for? Uh, almost the whole year. Um, the last trip I went on, I think was January of 2020. I think I traveled again by uh, maybe October, November timeframe was my first trip was to Milwaukee to see my sister. Um, and then I don't think my, my husband, his travel before that, I think was December, was December of 2019. And I don't think he traveled until December of 2020. So okay. he, he didn't travel for almost a year. So how did that work for you being someone that really looks forward to something like that? What did you, did you go through like the period where you were getting antsy and then resigned yeah. to it? How did it flow for you? Um, we started saving up a lot of travel points and perks and things like that. So it, it gave us something to look forward to. So with using, you know, having the, the company cards and using the perks from that, then we were able to just accumulate points and then plan trips. So we've, planned other we've planned portugal again and we've planned a few other trips so that we kind of have something more to look forward to but we started traveling again at the end of last year so once we started traveling at the end of 2020 we haven't really stopped so we still travel a couple times a month now so this year i can't even think of everywhere we've been but i know it, at this point in the year of it being mid-july we've already been to vegas twice um, I've been to Milwaukee. I've flown my sister here. Um, I'm trying to think there's a few other places that we've already gone. So it's, um, oh, we went to New Orleans. We took my husband's aunt to New Orleans. So we've already done a few things like this year. So we've tried to keep our kind of the travel, travel thing going. That's good. So have you noticed then, aside from having to wear masks in the airport and on planes, mm -hmm. uh, have you noticed that the travel experience is what you remember from before COVID or has it changed radically aside from just the prophylactic things that we have to go through now to fly? Um, it's getting better. Um, I was in New Orleans and I was in Vegas the, the, the moment that those, um, like those provisions were, were cleared. So we watched them take this the six foot sticker marks off the floor in Vegas. And we watched them take down the signs of, you know, no entry into hotels and restaurants in New Orleans. So that was really kind of neat to you know, watch how those different cities were opening up and um, what was considered a mask mandate one day literally was not allowed, you know, not required the next day and how people were enforcing that. So I think it's more about where you go and the travel to get there. International, 
is starting, obviously, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to navigate international to get COVID tests in and out of countries, have your vaccine card if you you know, if you're getting vaccinated or not, and which countries are allowing you in and out. I think Canada right now is allowing, like they just allowed people in, but with requirement of a vaccination card. So uh, that's kind of the idea of, you know, we have, a, we've had to do a lot of research on how to get in and out of different states and how to get in and out of different countries. So it's done a lot more paperwork, a lot more research, and we can't just go on a whim anymore. Things have to be really planned. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that if we can get through the Delta variant, you know, we're kind of <laughs> dating this episode, but then maybe it'll start to go. I mean, it seemed like I flew a couple of weeks ago and it's almost like aside from the mask, it's the same old grumpy people, packed planes, packed airports, same old thing I remember from before. Yeah. Which is I, now you're sweating with a mask on your face, you know? Yeah. I, I liked it when there wasn't a lot of travelers, mainly because there were no lines there. It was really fast. The airports were really accommodating. The airlines were not filling the seats. So everyone was, you know, had, you know, like Southwest, for example, wasn't filling the middle seats. And so I didn't know that. And I like to sit in, I just, randomly picked a metal seat because the plane only had like 20 people on it. And so they came up to me and were like, told me I had to sit on one end or the other. And then there was no one around me. So I was allowed to like stretch out and be in the middle. It was weird. So they were, um, but I guess I guess in case someone else wanted to sit in my row, but it's, it's All right, definitely, so you it's didn't see a different. couple, you didn't see a couple with a seat between them and say, I want to sit there with. No, no, I just tried to, I just tried to take the whole like row. People like you are, man, people like you are what make flying bad. I was like, <laughs> okay, so thank goodness. No, no, no. It was just like, I saw a row and I took the whole row and then they told me like, I have to sit either at the end or in, in the, you know, pick an end and then i did and then no one sat near me and then i could go back to spreading out and having the whole row but so that was kind of that's probably that the last time i got to do that was in 2020 so okay. since yeah, they started it's traveling definitely, it's yeah, definitely packed yeah. and so it's it, it's back to, it traveling is back to what it used to be the lines are back the people are back security weights are back it's it's all the same as it used to be okay well let's talk about now because here's what I here's why I wanted to talk to you, because our audience, many of them are the traditional HR professionals. They're kind of mm -hmm. chained at the desk. And yeah, now many of them are working virtual or hybrid. The bottom mm -hmm. line is they're still chained to the desk. Mm -hmm. You are different. Now, granted, you've started a company and so you have this flexibility. But I mean, is what you do possible for someone who is saying, look, I I'm going to get out of HR because I can't do this anymore. I would love to have Michelle's lifestyle. I mean, is that possible? I think anyone working remote has the ability to do this. Um, like people that work for me are HR practitioners um, and they either work part time or full time in multiple companies, depending on you know where what they do for work for me. Um, but I think anyone who works remote, once they realize they don't have to be at home and they create a very stable structure. So I still work, especially right now with as many hours as I work on the business and still in the business, um, managing the company, business development and um, managing the clients that I have. I, I mean, my day starts at 8 a.m. Eastern and goes until six or seven Eastern. And then I have my PhD that I work on. So I still have quite a bit of time that I'm still chained to my computer. Um, but like last week when I was in the Dominican Republic, I was I was sitting on the balcony staring at, you know, the beach and working like that. And I was still 
in my hotel room working on working from the balcony. And then, you know, I for I would, you know, schedule an hour lunch break to, you know, go to the beach and get some lunch and stuff like that. And then I think at one point when I had a morning meeting, I just did that on the beach and took some calls while laying out at the beach and things like that. So it's been um, I think if you don't what the hardest transition for me was to realize that I was on kind of a workcation and get out of the mindset that it's a vacation. That was my hardest transition was to say, if I'm gonna work remote, I can't miss the fact that I am in a beautiful location and not just not working and just turning it off. And, and if I need a vacation, then that's a very different mindset to be turning off work and going out and playing and being on vacation with my family or whatever that might look like um, versus just actually having to keep my schedule, keep working and, and just realize it's still working. I'm just working from a new location. As we started making this the, the lifestyle norm, that was the hardest transition for me was to say, okay, I, I still, I don't get to have a different lifestyle than, than sitting in front of my computer and maybe taking a lunch break or a breakfast break or something like that. Um, that, that, that's probably the part that, you have to realize if you're going to go wherever you're going, it's nice to have different time zones to work in. So when we're in Europe, for example, um, technically our workday is the late afternoon into the evening time frame, and we get the morning off. And that's like when you know we're awake and moving around before Eastern even is open yet. So we get to, you know, our day is then just extended longer. So that's kind of something that we had to get used to. So do you actually then take vacations in addition to working remote? Um, not yet. Okay. <laughs> so I, I have wanted to, and, and it's easier and cheaper to travel during the week. Um, so the vacation part of that is technically staying through the weekend and then having my weekend to be wherever we are. Um, and, you know, being able to take maybe cancel an afternoon or something or take a half day and be able to explore where we're at if it's somewhere we haven't been before um, or things like that. So then I was able to there was when we were in New Orleans with my husband's aunt and his mom. Uh, there was multiple days where I didn't get to join them until five o'clock. And so once I got off, I would just take an Uber to wherever they were. And then there was a couple days where I actually got to like be done by noon. And so then I, I went out and found them, but then my husband had to work. So then I was running around town with his mom and his aunt and loved showing them the city. And then he joined us at five. So, or maybe six, it was a little bit later than by the time he joined us. So, which was nice. We got to do the haunted tour that he didn't want to go on and we got to do some things he didn't care to do. So that was really nice, but it's, yeah, that's probably the harder part of saying, okay, if we're going to go take a vacation, then we have to go somewhere that we know is going to be very, very much a vacation and that kind of thing. It's, it, it has to be purposeful and planned differently, I guess. Okay. Especially if we need to unplug, if we're basically saying, okay, we're going to go somewhere that has really bad internet. Um, and we know that it's going to be something that we can't. So we've like, we've been to Cuba, for example, and we knew that when we went there, we would not be able to turn on our internet. You can't really use your phone. You have to stay pretty much in airplane mode and you can buy internet cards there, but that's not reliable either. We were executives at the time though. We weren't running the companies. So that was something that we had to make our employers aware of. So people that work remote, if you are going to step away from something and you aren't on call and you're not available, then that was something you, you have to kind of work around, I guess, and really go into vacation mode and set up backups for who needs to contact you and when. 
So how does it work, for example, when you are in a, like, let's just say you're in Europe and something is really pressing mm -hmm. from the company that's a client of yours. And like, by the time you get it, they're already asleep. I mean, how this, what does a time lag do to running a company? Um, hmm. So typically if something is like client urgent on my side, it, I have people that monitor emails for me. So I have someone can call me or get my attention if something is that urgent. If it's client based, then typically I have someone else assigned to working the client. And so I don't, if it, unless it's for me, it would be more of a business deal. Something is going through from a business development side and there needs to be an answer and we're going back and forth on some things and some of that can be delayed. Um, so it, I think there's also the support system to put in place. And so when we are remote, I let other people know, monitor this for me, or if I'm busy, it happens a lot more when I'm busy and just in meetings and not able to answer my email. So I will tell my executive assistant, monitor this email for me and call or text me when you see a response. That happens a lot. So you are getting your PhD, you're in year four. So you've got a little bit of time, you're working on your dissertation now, and then I guess you defend it and then mm -hmm. you get awarded. So mm -hmm. is that gonna change your business at all? I think so, I hope so. So my focus with it being international, we're already starting to dabble in some international work. We do have a couple clients that are based out of Canada and I am talking to uh, some companies that are in Europe. So the idea would be to to have an international presence from the you know hr outsourced and fractional hr so, you know solution okay and then i guess the next question i have is what is probably the best place you've ever been because uh, i'm sure the audience the audience wants to know like you've been <laughs> to a lot of places what's been the best place and then let's follow that up with the worst place and why for both um my my favorite place is Cartagena, Colombia in the old city, in the walled city, um, mainly just because I I also, I think I, I also love New Orleans and I really enjoyed Cuba. So Cuba, Cartagena and New Orleans were all built around the same time frame by the same people, by the, the Spanish French revolution kind of concept and they were the trade route. So that like kind of like triangle was the trade route for them. And so they all look very similar and it's really fascinating to go. You could literally close your eyes in New Orleans, Cartagena and um, in Havana and open your eyes and, and other than different states of repair, they look very, very similar. And it's the culture and the food and the exchange rate is really good there. So that, so Cartagena has been one of my favorites and the people there were really great. I know people talk about the crime there, but we didn't have a problem. And I think that also has something to do with understanding Spanish and, and knowing how to get around. And we don't look like tourists when we go, we, we try to blend in, we go to, you know, we kind of hang out with the locals and that kind of thing. And we're pretty respectful. So we don't have too much of a problem. We also don't wear jewelry and we kind of know how to navigate that, especially with my husband being from Brazil. So we're pretty good about that. My favorite place I was surprised was Amsterdam and it's because I thought it was going to be a party city. I didn't expect to like it that much. And it's not. It's a very romantic city. There are more canals in Amsterdam than there are in Venice. And uh, we stayed at an Airbnb on a houseboat there. And I've been twice now, once with my husband and once with my sister. And um, the, the food is great. The people are so nice. It's very quiet. It's very pretty. 
most of the local restaurants and the local locations are closed by like nine or 10 o'clock. And the only place to really get food past that is kind of more in the tourist section and things like that. But the museums are amazing. And so we had um, a really good time in Amsterdam. I, that one's probably my favorite. And the Heineken, the Heineken brewery is really cool too. Great. So yeah, those are my favorites, I think, so far. So I do, the- I do desire to go to um, uh, Antarctica. So I have a goal to go to all seven continents. Um, Apparently so, yeah. To, I've only been to technically like four, I guess, or three. So South, South, you know, North America, South America, um, and Europe so far. I haven't been to like Asia or um, Australia, and then I want to throw in Antarctica. So, well, hopefully, some you know, we'll start ticking off some of those. Well, hopefully, spots. you get to Antarctica before it turns into a desert. You know, all yeah, the that's kind of, <laughs> that's the plan. So, so then the worst place. Oh, the worst place. Um, probably downtown Panama. Um, it's extremely dangerous. It is probably one of the most dangerous places, if I had to guess. I mean, other of places you're allowed to travel, because obviously there's places you are so dangerous, you're not allowed to even travel to. Um, but when we arrived in our hotel, there were armed SWAT guards outside of our hotel, and they're outside of every hotel. They monitor, they walk inside the lobby. He happened to like press my elevator button because he was already there. Um, so yeah, there, you cannot walk the streets there. Um, it is, it's really inexpensive. Like you can definitely stay at like the Waldorf Astoria for like $80 a night. So it's a, there's a lot of really nice hotels, but it is very dangerous. Um, one of the nice things was um, Uber does have an English option. So if you um, you can take cars around, it's pretty easy to catch Ubers and we didn't have to change our app or anything like that. But yeah, that one was that one was probably the scarier parts. We did get to go to the jungle in Panama and that one that one was nice. So once we got out of the city, it was a nice place to be. Well, your lifestyle, I'm sure, is appealing to many of the folks who are <laughs> listening right now. So last thing I want to ask you and then we'll we'll let you go because you're a busy person. <laughs> If somebody is listening today and either A, they would be interested in being part of your team or B, maybe they're thinking, wow, that's the lifestyle I want. I want to have more for my life than being stuck in meetings all day long on Zoom. So I'd rather have that kind of lifestyle. How would we be able to reach out to you, Michelle, and connect with you? Um, so easiest thing to check up on jobs and things like that for me would be the website. So that is uh, www.griffin-resources.com. And to reach out to me is michelle at griffin-resources.com. And my direct line is 813-728-6677. Wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you for taking 30 minutes out of your really busy schedule to chat with us. It was fun seeing your cat crawling around behind you there trying to get in the picture. Uh, obviously, this will be audio only, so you won't get to. But uh, we really appreciate your time and just applaud you on having the courage to break the chains of HR. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully, people get inspired by this. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.